Hi everyone, welcome to the first episode of Journeys of Scientists. My name is Brian Stanley. I'm a second year graduate student in the Physics Education Research Lab at Michigan State University. I am also one of the outreach coordinators for WAMPS, which stands for the Women and Minorities in the Physical Sciences. WAMPS is a graduate student organization at MSU that promotes diversity in the physical sciences by supporting current graduate students and encouraging more women and minorities to enter the field. One of the goals of this podcast is to talk to scientists at various points in their career, whether that be grad students, faculty, undergrads, from a variety of disciplines to learn about how they got to where they are now. We'll learn about their current work, but also other key aspects of their identity. Are they athletes? Are they artists? Are they experts in 16th century literature? Who knows, but through informal conversations, we'll find the more human aspects of scientists and hopefully learn something together. The first guest we have for our inaugural episode is Camila Monsalve Avendano. Cami is a second year graduate student at the Physics Education Research Lab at MSU. Cami will talk about her research. We'll also hear uh, her stories about living at Columbia, moving to Florida, and how she originally wanted to be a doctor and got a degree in biology, and what experiences she had to let her to pursue physics, and how they brought her to graduate school in Michigan. There are a lot of good stories, so let's get to them. The conversation starts with me talking about how, as a physics grad student, it can sometimes be difficult to explain to someone you just met about what it is you do. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but anyway, so like it's so like the first time I meet these people, I'm like they're just regular people. I don't know them, so of course there's like general like, oh, who are you? What do you do? Like casual what? And I, like I never really know what to say. Sort of like. Mm student and then there is like a follow-up of like oh what do you do etc and I feel like I never know what the appropriate level of this is what I do and this is what this means and how to explain who I am and yeah. everything like a casual new person I met so I guess I will throw this on to you be like how how do you introduce yourself to to new people or how do you explain you know a general sense of who you are and what you do. Oof. <laughs> Casual. Super Multiple. simple question. I'm so glad we're starting here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's kind of funny, but I think it depends who I'm with and who is receiving the information. Fair. So what I mean by that is like, is this a person that like I haven't seen in a long time and they want to catch up? And then be like, yeah, I'm a I'm a physicist. And um contrary to your follow-up question of like, what does that mean? Uh the first comment that usually comes out is like, oh, you're smart. <laughs> and it's like, no, I'm not. Um and then I sort of I like wait to see what the person really wants out of the conversation. I find it sometimes that people are like, don't even know what to ask. And like, and so I have this huge difference, right? That like, I chose being a physicist way later in my life. Before that, I did something else. So I actually noticed the difference of like, if I say I'm a physicist before, I would say like, oh, I'm, I'm going to pursue a medical career the conversation, the flow, the interaction was completely different. And sometimes I miss that. I miss just being able to interact with a person that they don't put me in this weird like bubble that they don't even know how to interact. Um, if it's somebody like stranger danger that I'd, I, I don't expect 
see my life, I like I mess around and I'm like my other alternative careers that I would want it to be, and I'll be like, oh, I'm an art teacher. I I play I play with something proximate, so it's either something near education or near science, but never like oh, I'm a physicist. Um, and and I just kind of wait, and I notice the differences in the reaction, and depending on how the interaction goes, like at the end, I would be like, no, actually, I'm a physicist, and this is what I do, <laughs> or something. I just let them be in ignorance. That's but, that's, that's an interesting strategy, because um, I agree. Like, I also feel weird about saying like, oh, I'm a physicist, because usually there's like one of two reactions, like like you mentioned, like, oh, you must be smart, which I have issues with, <laughs> I suppose. Um, I think we all do. <laughs> um, or the other one, the other one is, oh, I hate physics, or I took physics, like, <laughs> whatever, and it was a horrible experience, which is also, yeah. like, hurtful in a different way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so my experience with that second one is that it tends to be super polar. It's either I hate physics, I don't know how you do it, or I loved it. And then it turns into a story about all about themselves. Like, and, and it usually ends up with like, I wish I had studied. And I'm like, okay. Yes, yes, I, yes, I agree. So what kind of, okay, so usually, or at least in my experience of, Okay, we get past the the part of like, okay, I study physics or I do whatever with physics, right? Yeah. The next question is like, oh, so what is it that you're studying, like specifically? Because physics is kind of weird because I think physics is overly broad. Like physics can be almost anything really if you break it down. Yeah. And so then, so I guess I'm curious, like, what do you do you study? <laughs> Then I say, oh, I'm in a new field that focuses on education. And then people's reaction are interesting because they, they go, oh, so you're a teacher. Yeah. And to me, that's more of an indicator about what they think than how I feel. Um, in the sense of, it might show a bit about what they're thinking a teacher role is or, or like in their categorization of societal whatever structure they might have in their head. Or um, that you get the rare questions of like, so, so what does that actually mean? And then, and then I just pull out my social justice spiel of like education should be accessed by everybody and everybody. And that's what I wanna do. Um, and so that's, that's my elevator speech, I would say. Yeah. But, but what I, I do find interesting is switching careers, like switching from biologist to physicist, you see the difference in like conversation. What do you call that? Like um, flow charts, <laughs> like where the conversation goes. It's very interesting because they pretty much end. Like people don't know, people, I find people don't know how to interact with that kind of information and like they just sort of can't gauge and shut down the conversation. Yeah. And I feel like I feel like I also have like that same situation. Like even if I like look at it from their shoes, 
like if I ask someone like what they, it is they do, like if say they're not physics, say like they're biology, for example, like I don't know anything about biology. So then I feel like I can, I can empathize in that way of, so what do you do in biology? But like, then I don't know anything about biology and they tell me and I'm like, nice. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So, in a way, it's, it's funny because being a scientist is very isolating. Right? Like you're so knowledgeable about this big bubble and nobody outside of that bubble knows anything about it. And then and then through PhD, I don't know if you, you remember that illustration that Danny gave when we were doing orientation or no, it was actually Rachel, my bad. I forgot. Somebody gave it. He Rachel. Was, yeah. And it was like the bubble and a little bump. And it was like, that is your knowledge. And no one else understand it. And it's sort of like, we've chosen to make that bubble our bubble and be the only ones that know that bubble. Ta-da! <laughs> that's, that's what a PhD, in short, is for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get that, especially like even within physics, like you could say, we're just like looking at the bubble of physics. I feel like people often think like, oh, you know like everything about can't everything in physics. But like, if you ask me about nuclear physics, like I, you know, I don't, I don't know anything, anything about that. <laughs> I don't know anything more than the non-physicist in that regards, but it's like my little bubble of physics education. I was like, okay, I, I know then within this little bubble, and then even within that little bubble, there are like aspects that I still don't know much about. Um, yeah. It's weird. <laughs> it's like, Seems like we're getting more niche and niche and niche within each more bubbly. Thing. Yeah, more, yeah, more little bubbles. <laughs> um, yeah. So I am like a little curious, like you brought it up a couple of times, biology. Like your mm. undergrad degree was in both biology and physics, right? Yep. One, how what okay, what was your you know, undergrad journey of choosing what major or you will do and how did you come up with the combination how did i come up with the combination of biology oh, and physics yeah okay. um for that we have to go back to 1993 <laughs> <laughs> i told you i talk a lot um yeah we kind of have to go back to that uh my i grew up in a different and in a non-traditional family household, let's label it that way. I grew up with my grandparents, my mom, my uncle, and my aunt. And uh, during my childhood, my aunt was absent from the household because she was completing medical career. Um, then when she passed away at 12, to me became like an obvious thought of like, well, I'm gonna be a doctor, period. And that, and that was my motivation. And that was my motivation of choosing middle school to high school, like what kind of high school career path I wanted to have because I had options. And then it became my path of choosing college and major, like that sort of directed it. While all of this is happening, I would say that I, I had a science curiosity. And the first curiosity that I had was the stars. Like I was fascinated by the stars. My family will get me um, books. Uh, at some point, like we couldn't afford a telescope, so my dad ended up getting binoculars and we would watch the stars with binoculars in Miami, a very, 
a very humid, light polluted city, but we will watch stars. Um, what, what city, and, by the way? What? What city, by the way? Miami. Where is this? Okay. Yeah. And, but then, then there was this random fact. I don't know how I got this random fact, and it blew my mind. The surface area of the, I believe they're called the areoli, the vessels that are in your lung um, that have the exchange of your blood of oxygen and carbon dioxide, the surface area of that tissue, if you were to stretch it out, is the equivalent of the dimensions of a tennis court. And I was just like, my little brain went like, how do you fit a tennis court in a <laughs> It just blew my mind. And, and then my curiosity shifted towards the body. I'm like, what does the body do? What does it do? What does it do? What does it do? And that sort of became my reason of choosing biology um, for school during my undergrad. About how old were you? In undergrad? Um, when you kind of like had this, you know, epiphany or. Oh, for the tennis court? I think I was somewhere around nine. So it was before choosing to be a doctor. Yeah, somewhere around nine or 10. Then, then my aunt's passing happened. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a doctor. No, no questions asked. It's obvious. It's clear. The path is driven. Done. And I carry, I carry that with me. And um, I loved biology in high school. Uh, in fact, I took it three years because I was in this program that like, uh, freshman year you take biology, sophomore year you take chemistry, and then you choose which ones of the three do you want to focus. And I remember very explicitly that there was, it was a well-known fact that the physics professor, teacher in the high school was sexist. And I was like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> and the chemistry like never caught my curiosity. And biology, uh, I had like, I knew a lot about her, like I took Spanish, her mom was also a teacher and she was my Spanish teacher. She was a coach of soccer, my best friend took soccer. So I've like, I had interacted with her enough. And I, I believe she was also my freshman teacher. So I was like, cool. Um, but out of the 52 students, like my class that we were registered to take the AP bio, two of them passed, the rest failed. And, uh, and I was like, well, maybe this means something. And then for our senior year, they hired, they hired a recent graduate with a biology degree. And she was amazing. She was awesome. She was a great teacher. She pushed me a lot. And I was a kind of, uh, I was the kind of nerd that I would skip my art class and go to my science teacher's because <laughs> I prefer a lot more and we would like my best friend and I we both were, had chosen medicine like yeah we're gonna go to medicine so we would skip with I would skip with her to this this chick's class and we'd just hang out like she she must have been like 24 like she wasn't that much older than us right but we we related a lot to her and she taught she talked to us she talked about how like college is different how it's hard how it's like she just gave us an insight into that and so I went on to Florida International University. I started, um, I started my career there and I started doing bio classes. I was sort of going with the flow, but I, was, I never took initiative to figure out like, what is the path from undergrad to, to medical school? I was just like, go with the flow, go with the flow. 
uh, one of my friends from high school, she was super focused and she's like, I gotta take this class and this class and this class and like all these other stuff. And like, she was a one a planner scheduler and she was rocking it. And I just sort of like mimicked my schedule around her. I'm like, well, she knows what she's doing. So I'll just copy. And, um, and I feared going into physics. I was like, and I managed like, my my school is a huge school too it's like fifty thousand students um i had i want to say like in the total seven years that i was there about seven advisors so every year something switched like there was no consistency it's easy to be a number and i was and i was used to that from high school like my high school was also four thousand students my graduating class was about a thousand students so i'm like used to being lost in the numbers and I'm, I'm comfortable with that. And so one of the things that I managed to pull off is that like, I just delayed taking physics courses as much as I could. And then I was like, okay, I gotta graduate. I gotta take physics course in the last year. I'll take physics one and two and I'll, I'll, just, do I'll just do it, I'll do it. And I got into, I like set up my schedule and everything. And then like, um, we had like a grace period of one or two weeks where we could switch around their schedule. And, and I was a master at changing my schedule during that time. I would sit and like try to figure out when like people would start dropping classes and just switch to the actual schedule that I wanted. And I, I also decided my senior year to start working so I can make a, so I can have like expenses, uh, just, just money so I can have fun in Miami because Miami is uh, super expensive. And so I started tutoring and then, so tutoring happens from like two to 9 p.m. essentially. So I needed to make sure that my schedule was like morning and my afternoon was free. And so I found this weird class that like signing up to it wasn't the regular way. And I'm like, what is this? And I had to go talk to someone. It, it felt like a quest and I was like, whatever, I'll do it. If it's my schedule, it's perfect. Like, and I'll just deal with what I'm doing because this, class felt weird. It was different from signing up to the previous four or five years that I had been at FIU. Shortly but sweetly, I sat on the first day of class and Jeff, back then, uh, my professor, he goes, hey, um, I don't lecture and there's no book. Have fun. And I was like, crap. By the way, I'm going to curse a lot. I curse a lot. Is that okay? okay <laughs> and i was like is this is either really good ass class or this is going to be a living hell and i have no idea but whatever fix my schedule here we are now and for the first time in my life i was not getting in trouble in class i've always been a talker since i started school my mom would always get like a note sent home or like teacher parent conference she talks too much my mom's like i know <laughs> i can't do anything about this She's been doing it all her life. No way of changing that girl. But this class, I needed to talk. I need to go talk to other people to try to understand the material. And then there was a, like, a part of the course was to sit in a circle and discuss what we had just learned. So I was talking and I was the one asking questions. And, um, and I would talk to the professor and I would talk to the students and I would talk left and right. And so it got to the point that I, also signed up for the second half of this physics course. Um, I got familiar with the TAs. Uh, back then, uh, a grad student 
at FIU was Daryl McFadden. And so I, I would be like, hey, Daryl, so this question is great. Like it, the orchid is awesome, but this question, a nightmare. It confused me. It doesn't do this. And I think you're trying to make it do that, blah, blah, blah. I must have drove her insane the two semesters, giving her so many suggestions that at the end of, of the two courses, she goes, hey, do you, you want to work with me? I'm, I'm like changing the curriculum. I could use your help. And I was like, sure. I'm still thinking medical school. And I'm like, oh, I need research experience. I, I don't feel comfortable with any of the professors. And this chick just gave me something. It'll be great for my CV. And it'll help me. But be like, ooh, she did something with physics, you know, like using that kind of leverage. Mm -hmm. And so Daryl was like, great, read these papers over the summer and I'll meet you back in fall. And I'm like, okay. I read the papers. I came back. I'm like, hey, this is super cool. I'm super interested. What do we do? And it was just papers about the course that I had just taken. But she just showed me that it had been researched. And I was like, oh, this is so awesome. And so I ended up working with her. And then I did, I did a homework set for, for one of the weeks in the semester. And that's what I worked on. And then she goes, well, I appreciate you helping me. Um, now, what would you like to research? And I was like, what I would like to research? Like, nah, that, that doesn't exist. Like, it doesn't make sense. Um, and, then, and then she was like, no, like, honestly, what would you like to research? And then she ended up connecting me with my first mentor, with Zara Hazari. And Zara Hazari, like, is an amazing mentor and she's an amazing researcher too and so I was just like all right cool let's do it and, and I worked with her and so my plan is well I'm gonna I'm gonna graduate and so I just had to retake some courses because I had failed some for bio and I, was, I just wanted to improve my GPA for med school and um oh I forgot to mention like physics besides the class that I could talk in I just it, it sparked back that curiosity that I had when like the lungs, <laughs> how to fit a tennis court in the lungs. Um, and it sparked again that curiosity, like that curiosity that I had had as a child, like came back in that class and I was able to get the answers and, and you know, and dive into it. Like to the point that my friends started to realize like, okay, Kami, uh, we're not calling you anymore because we know you're going to be studying on a Friday night. And I'm like, all right, cool, but I'll meet you guys later. Let me just study a little bit longer. Like I, I was putting studying physics before heading out. And then, and so then the opportunity with Zara came and it was awesome. Like I, I was like, okay, plan. Plan is to finish, graduate, study for the MCAT while I'm also doing this research opportunity and see where it takes me. And I got the MCAT books. I got everything ready. I never opened the MCAT books not once and I was like but I ended up writing up a paper with Zara and, and publishing it at PR that summer and I was like well I think these mean something <laughs> um all during that time all I did when I started thinking actually of like okay I'm a switch from biology to a physicist I was like okay then I became what I had seen from my friend I became the planner I'm like what are the courses? What do I need for grad school? What do I need to do? What are the research? And I think I drove Daryl and Jeff insane. I'm like, what kind of jobs can you get? Is the market guaranteed? Like, what is, what are, if I, if I go into this journey, like, 
what is the outcome? What do, where am I going to be in seven years after doing this? Because I sort of thought like, okay, I realized that I couldn't go into grad school, physics grad school with a biology degree. So I definitely needed an undergrad physics. And then I went into FIU and I was like, okay, if I graduate the semester, would I have to reapply or could I just re-enroll? Like, could I just do like post-bac kind of work? I found out all the details and I was like, okay, well, at the end, it ends up being the same amount of time. Like if I go to med school, I have to apply, I have to get accepted and I have to go there's so many years for the courses and then residency, blah, 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 blah. It ended up being the same year as if like, I just took another undergrad degree and then went to grad school. And that's how we're here. <laughs> uh, this, this was all between 2015 when I started working with Daryl in the curriculum. I made my choice somewhere around February of 2016. I graduated with my biology degree on May of 2016. I was exhausted from, mm -hmm. from, from being a science student. Um, the summer I just worked with Zara, which was great because like in my parents' eye, like I was being productive. I wasn't just taking the time off. But then I took a hard decision. I was like, I'm, I'm taking the fall semester off. I I need time to recover. And I did that in 2017, I began my second degree in physics and I started, I did everything backwards there too. <laughs> um, let's see, what is it that I did backwards? I did modern, which is expected, like right after intro to physics, you do modern. I did the first lab and then some other course that I can't remember right now. Cog three. And then, but then that fall, I started with quantum and ENM without ever taking thermal or classical. Because mm -hmm. usually those are taken first. But since I was trying to graduate in two years, I decided to put off thermal and classical for my last semester. And so all the classes were like, you will remember this from classical mechanics. And I was like, Nope. Can you explain that? Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, and then, so I started January 2017 and I graduated with a bachelor's in physics 2018 in December. So Can you just like, so you said like your undergrad was what, seven years or so, right? Is that what you said? Mm -hmm. So when, like, when was that switch between like, when you start, when you took like that first physics class, like approximately like how far along were you so far? I was in my senior year. Okay. So that must have been 2000. Fall of 2014, I took physics one. Okay. Yeah. How, okay. How you, so remember you said, like, I would, I would be also like scared of like, we're like in that lecture style thing of saying, oh, we're not lecturing or we're not, you know, yeah. getting out of the book because like that's how everything I've ever done has been like that. Yep. Nope. So, like about like how 
big was this class of like that, this more? Yeah, uh, we're 40 students. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Did you know anyone? Because that, like, I would imagine that would also be stressful of, oh, I, I don't even know anyone here, and now you want yeah. me to <laughs> I know I would. <laughs> point. I, I appreciate you owning up to that because that's not the case. <laughs> um, I was at FIU, so FIU is a Hispanic serving institution. So half of the people are half, if not the majority are actually, if I really think about it, I think most of us were Hispanic. And in, in Miami, that's usually the case. The, yeah. the majority are the minority. It's really rare to find an American. Like it just, it doesn't happen. And so, so the class is full of Hispanic people and um, that's, that's one thing. So it's like my culture, my people, I know how to navigate that. That, that wasn't um, a thing. Then on top of that, I'm an extrovert. So like, if I could talk to the wall, I would. And so um, the class, I was like 40 people, cake, I'll be knowing about 35 by the end of the course for sure. Especially if the course ended up being two semesters. But not everybody that took the first half would take the second half. And so um, that wasn't my fear. And then what made it also a bit easier was that the way that the classroom was set up is that there were tables of six. And so we could collaborate within those six or we could further divide our table into two groups of three. And so it was like, oh, just three of us working on the same thing or the six of us. But the truth of the matter was that by the end of the second semester, like I would walk across the classroom, get my answer from this guy, but then I knew that this guy understood it conceptually, so I would talk to him. And then I knew that this other chick could pull off the math, so I would go talk to her, and then I'll come back to the table and be like, I got this guy, and then like explain it and do whatever it is that we needed to do. So like by the end, the tables kind of didn't exist. Nobody cared about the tables. Um, so the class, like I felt the class, in the class, a lot of things happened. Like I said, first thing, I was not in trouble. For the first time in my life, talking was approved, pre-approved and encouraged. Um, but I also, all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, but the structure of the class like gave me agency. Like I said, like if I wanted to understand something, I knew who I could talk to, to like who could talk my way of understanding things so I could actually go understand it. And then beyond that, there were like groups. So we would text message of like, hey, did you try this? Or like, hey, um, I, I tried doing this part, but it didn't work out this way. So there was a lot of communication that could happen in, the, in, in my learning process. And I love that. I genuinely love that. And then, I think the part that I also enjoyed the most was what, what was called the board meeting. So it was this groups of three or six, we all had to, at the end, grab a whiteboard that was like, what, two by four feet? Um, and we would have to put in our answers or our explanation or whatever. And then we would sit in a group of 20 and then we'll be like, okay, for our question or for our part or for our project, this is what we did. And then someone else would explain their part of what they did. And so by the end of like everybody having shared, we would have all had talked about solving the problem 
all the worksheet, even though for the last half an hour or an hour, we were just focused on one problem. And that, like, that was so helpful for me to, like, talk and, like, negotiate with peers. Like, is that really, or is that, like, would you solve it this way? To see how people approached it differently, too. And I love that. I, I, I was like, whoa, if physics functions this way, it's lovely. <laughs> like, and and I, I also have to say, I had reached the end of my math career as a pre-med. Like I stopped at Calc 2 and nothing else of math was required. And I was like, miss math. <laughs> and so physics sort of satisfied of like that mm -hmm. combination of science and math and the reasoning through math, but you also need the explanation. Oh, that, I just, I had no idea that that's the thing that makes me happy. How so? So then it sort of sounds like the like you had like a good group of people that you could work with, like doing homework and like studying and all that. And did that I'm assuming did that carry through for like other future classes that you had, like as you got higher into physics? Good question. Yeah, but because of me. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Yeah, like like the classes were not designed like that, but my study group ended up being four four of us okay the interesting thing is that the four of us uh we were we had untraditional career paths i want to say so for example um one of the guys he went to community college and then switched into fiu so he just got in here and he was like fuck it uh, another one, she had, she, she, she never really cared about school. She didn't like care for it at all for a long time. And then she was like, Ooh, physics. And like, she went the same path as the other guy. She was like community college and then ended up there. But she, she was since community college, she was like, it's physics for sure. Like physics, physics, physics. But she, she was married. She was planning on buying a house and she worked on the weekend too. And the other one was a was a veteran. He was um, he was a former Marine, and now he had his life in Miami. He kind of ran the Office of Veteran Affairs, but he was also always curious about physics. And we managed to make it work. That and I at that point uh, I had a research position at the STEM Transformation Institute at FIU, and so like. The advantage of the veteran and myself is that our work and study was in the same place uh, at FIU. The other two, they like, the chick, she couldn't study with us on the weekend, also because where she lived, like her commute was an hour and a half. Didn't matter the time of the day. Um, and so on the weekends, she worked crazy hours because she worked in a restaurant. So like she couldn't on the weekends, but then on the weeks, like during the weeknights, I would stay in school, but it was, it was always the three or the four of us, like playing with all of our schedules and finding the time and sitting down and doing the homeworks. And we ended up taking, we ended up taking all of my courses together. So yeah, I, I would say I ended up creating that, but not because the courses or anything else was structured that way. Okay. Would you say, so, I guess from like my experience, at least, 
Yeah. Uh, like when I had physics, like, okay, I, it wasn't even until like the last year or two that I even started working with people. It was kind of very lone wolf and that's sort of what it seemed like other people were doing as well. Like we didn't have a structure for things. And so like when I did eventually work with people, these were people that I essentially only worked with to do like physics homework or something like that together. Right. And that was like the, the extent of our relationship was mm -hmm. like physics. So I'm just curious, like what was your relation to like, these people or just other people in physics in general? Is it sort of like we are doing physics together or is it like, oh, okay, this is like a friendly community where we can talk outside of this physics area? Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a great question. Uh, we were all actually very interrelated. <laughs> um, so the veteran and the other woman in the group, they will both were completing something called FIU Teach, which was like housed under the same institute where I was doing research. So I was on the research side, but they were in the other big program. And that program, what it does is it helps them get ready. As they're doing their undergrad, it helps them get ready to teach science at a high school level. And so they had their own set of courses that they could relate and that they would do. But because I was doing research in physics education, and sometimes we knew about people in the department in this STEM transformation, we always had things to talk about. And so, so and because we would study late, we would like order food for all of us. Um, as the years went by, we would like go get beers. Um, and I actually ended up dating the other guy. Um, the guy from community college, him and I dated, it's, it's actually kind of funny. We dated the first two semesters that I did my, no, the, the second and the third. And when the fourth semester came around, it was like, look, I know we're broken up and everything, but we studied fantastically. Can we just like keep this for one more semester? <laughs> Cause I was like, I'm like, dude, let's do it. Cause it's my crazy semester. You know how I function. I know how you function and we can get through and yeah um yeah we definitely hung out outside of physics um and and i would say like at the end in in the last two semesters we <laughs> we adopted another human <laughs> uh she was also like she did her community college route she wanted to do physics she had a different path of life she's married and she was talking with her husband about futures of planning a family and so much so that uh, yesterday on on we have a group chat. She was like announcing that she's pregnant. So yeah, <laughs> they're friends for life. <laughs> they're definitely not just people that I study physics and will never see again. Yeah. Nice. How would you say? So like we're both in grad school now. Like we came in the same year, so we're going to our second years. So how would you say, like? Would you say you have a similar sort of approach as you do here? I feel like you and I get along really well. But like mm -hmm. we didn't necessarily, we didn't have, take the same classes really. Mm -hmm. And so like, but I felt like we bonded really well because we were able to connect on a lot of things that were not physics. Like we went to right. basketball, so we did like other, other fun things together. So yeah. I'm just kind of curious like what your experience is so far and like how it differs or is similar. Yeah. Um, it's so funny because I know you said that this is an informal conversation, but to me, 
it's like a huge overlap about the research that I've done also. So it's like this weird, it's a weird conglomerate of what I want to explain yeah. to you. <laughs> um, but basically, this is going to be a long-winded story. The research that I did, the first research that I did with Zara Hazari, uh, what she measures, it's something called physics identity. And what that means, in other words, is like, how much does a person really see themselves as a physicist or not? And it's based on years of research of interviews about uh, minority women and how they relate to physics. And so the work that her and I did is she used physics identity and she used this other thing called outcome expectations. And outcome expectations are, if I do this career, uh, what are the other aspects that I can hope to see in my future? So for example, spend time with family, uh, make a lot of money, like all these other things that you don't really think about as an undergrad. I think that was my experience. I speak for everybody. But what we did is we did the research of those two, like uh, physics identity and what you're expecting out of your career, the outcome expectations. And she is a researcher in gender. And uh, we found results that were consistent with previous study that if women have this, women tend to have very community oriented goals, like they wanna have change or they wanna impact their community. And because of having those kind of expectations, their physics identity goes down. And um, doing the research with her, uh, Zara was like, this is consistent with previous research, which is unfortunate. It could speak to several things. One, the way that, like, the way that physics is perceived, the idea that the lonely scientist, that only a, one person does all the work. And she's like, which is not the reality. You always sit down and collaborate. There's no way of doing science. There's no way of doing physics by yourself. And even when you think you're doing it, you're still collaborating in a way that you might not think it's collaborating. And I was like, that sounds so intricate. What do you mean by that? And she's like, you don't publish papers because you came up with something. You have to research and the lit background in order to get there. And that's a different form of collaboration, but there's always collaboration. And I was like, oh, interesting. So from very early on, Zara sort of like said like this is what people expect out of physics um, but this is what the alternative view about physics that you can have and think about so I learned that and then at the same time she was putting in a proposal of uh, how how to improve the marginalization of women into physics and she was focusing on the transition from high school to college and the reality is the numbers in high school are 50% men 50% women in physics courses nationally that doesn't mean that it's a case in every school just nationally but then when you when you look at the percentage breakdown in gender um, as physics majors all of a sudden it becomes 80% men 20% women and that percentage stays consistent throughout, meaning undergraduate programs have that percentage, graduate programs have that percentage, faculty have that percentage. So I was like, cool, I'm gonna face sexism. <laughs> that like I sort of understood that. And then having been part of this course where the idea of teaching was not based on 
what is called um, transmitting. What was the transmitting knowledge? Remember? Mm, yeah, transmission. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What is it? That, that sounds about right. I, I, I know what you're talking about. Um, forgot the name that we used in the course. Another way is like passive learning, meaning yeah. I don't say and lecture and hear a lecture because I don't get much out of hearing someone else talk about it, right? Mm -hmm. that I had learned in this environment where you just form communities of like someone trying out something and we would do group work and try to figure it out and answer it and we would come to an answer where we all agreed. And so I was like, okay, well, if physics functions this way, I'll try to bend it my way so I can be successful. And that's what happened in undergrad. That's when I got these four got these four people, this three people and myself and we would study all the time and we, we created this community of studying and support, right? Like there were days that I was like going through hell and they're like, we got the homework, you go take 10 minute nap and come back. You know what I mean? Or there were days that were like, I mean, I got pulled into a ship, go for it. I got you just, you got my homework. And it became like that. And it almost, <laughs> it was kind of funny. We almost became like this, you know, when couples start sharing memories and they depend on each other to remember things. Mm -hmm our group became that and it was like kami you you were good at this one what is this like break it down and then we're yeah. like oh we need math let's call this good he's gonna figure it out <laughs> or like if we just all be had like our strengths and we 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 created that group and so when i came to grad school um i was familiar with what i was about to face right like i was about to face sexism I also realized like I'm leaving Miami and leaving Miami, a Hispanic service institution also, Florida International, leaving that meant like, pfft, I'm gonna be the only Hispanic. I've never experienced that. But I think I'm the kind of human that I'm like, something I'm familiar, let's do it. I'm, I get excited by that. I don't get, um, I don't get frozen or stuck. And so when I came up here, I was like, okay, cool. I know the things that function. I need to find the group of people that I can study with. And I just, um, and I need to find the Latin American people. <laughs> Where are they at? And so um, a lot of what I did in the first semester was trying to get a lot of people from my class, for art, from art class. And that's when you're like basketball. I'm like, hell yeah, I love that. I love watching basketball. Let's go do it. And I think you saw that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> basketball. Um, you were very like energetic and like happy let's go <laughs> yeah um it was it was a few moments that i could be loud without disrupting yeah. the midwest peace around <laughs> i'm like let's do it i can do it let's do it <laughs> um it was great because yeah everyone's things are pretty quiet and everyone's like can't do themselves and everything <laughs> <laughs> and then and then I was like, okay, I know how to find Milan American people. I have to do is there must be an organization on campus that already like hosts them and helps them out one way or another. I go to one of those events. I'll meet the first Colombian and that's it. That's all I need to do. I'm in the group. That's all I really needed to do. Verbatim, it happened. There was a barbecue the second week of the semester. I went, I went out there and before I could even write my name, this guy goes, you're Colombian. Here's my number. We're going to go party at this place later after the barbecue. I'm like, great, let's do it. <laughs> and I, 
when making the decision for grad school, I got accepted to Florida International University and here. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna go to MSU. I'm gonna like, it's gonna be perfect. It's like tiny town in the middle of nowhere. Like there isn't much of a nightlife like there is in Miami. It's gonna help me be more organized and party less, blah, blah, blah. I think the first semester I partied more in one semester than I partied more in Miami. And I was like, oh God, <laughs> oh, I tried, I tried. And so, so yeah, I think what I'm doing now is like finding my communities, finding, finding the people that I, that definitely I need the people that I can dance with. And that's, that's what the Colombian Latin American community is for. And then I consider you as part of my community. <laughs> We're, we're in this together, right? We're about to go through courses, um, and and hopefully, hopefully, my 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 dream is that I managed to make a group like the one that I had at FIU, where we can like rely on each other and be like, hey, you need a day off, you got it, <laughs> sort of thing. Um, that point of that point of trust is pretty awesome, and that kind of interreliance is is pretty awesome. So yeah. That's my long-winded explanation of that's what I'm doing now at MSU. <laughs> that's really good. So you, are you, you say you're enjoying it so far, or at least like enjoying aspects of it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, and I, and I also like thriving in, in um, challenges. And so I quickly realized that to most events, I was probably the only woman of color. I, seen much and when and when you step out of Kim's like out of the front of Kim's office like I went off by last names and I'm like okay let me count I'm like two and I think I counted 12 and I'm like all right let me go back to those names and see which one are women and I'm like oh cool there I am <laughs> and so um but I quickly I met I met blah, blah, blah. With, with some of the work that I did in the first semester, I did this thing called support network, which was helping out minority students in intro physics. So whether that was women or students of color. And the person that was, the funding was for two grad students or for one grad, for one grad student. And then the PI found more money, which is Paul Irving. And he was like, hey, do you wanna do this? And I'm like, hell yeah. And so I met this other Hispanic person, which is Dan Salazar. And so I'm like, oh, oh, there's another human. <laughs> and so with Dan, since we were doing sort of like disruptive work, thinking about like, how do we help these people feel more comfortable with physics or how do we help? Um, Dan and I were constantly talking about what it, what it is to be a Hispanic in physics. And I quickly realized that I was in a very, in an outlier experience. Being in Miami, which is a predominantly <sighs> Hispanic culture, because it's not even, like, there's many nationalities. There is, it's not just um, Mexicans. It's, for example, it's Cubans, Colombians, Brazilians, Guatemalans, Argentinians, Chileans, like, name it, you find it. There's pretty much a little hub of them living close together and you can and I think the best part is that you get like kitchens a bunch of restaurants from all these places so <laughs> Miami's fantastic let me just put that out there um and so and the, but Dan Dan grew up in 
uh, Chicago and he went to undergrad in Chicago. I, I, I don't want to misquote where he went, uh, which university. But from his experience, like we would talk about what he had faced. And I was like, I've never thought about that kind of experience because in my classes, like there's one white guy that was rare. But in his classes, person of color and so so I started learning a lot about that and with talking with Dan back and forth we actually started gathering getting just just as an informal get together of all the grad um Latinos and so we would meet we would meet at some point in the week sit down and chat and be like hey what do you do how do you do how are you doing mm-hmm. and we've we've also kept it up during the pandemic in the summer so that's another community that that has helped me you know thrive mm-hmm. yeah that's really cool yeah yeah like my mom always said that she never she never worries about me because she knows i'll never be alone <laughs> <laughs> I'm like what do you mean and she's like Two seconds. I could leave you for two seconds and pretty much make friends with the two, three people around you. <laughs> to the point that happens way too often. <laughs> but yeah. Well, I appreciate it. as someone who like struggles to just like meet new people. Like it's very nice to be next. Who sits next to you in the office with someone who is willing to just talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just like the way we've been doing it. Ask me one question, and I'll have you here for an hour. <laughs> Do not worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i mean no that's that's really great and that's really cool um so i guess i i i'm curious when i kind of like started this i kind of thought in my mind of okay like i do physics i do school and i you know all this stuff but at least for me like my experience was like oh i really enjoyed school um but i feel like the actual like being in a classroom doing school work or something it was like a small experience of the greater school experience so i guess i was just curious either in say high school or undergrad or even now like you like what are aspects of your life that are not necessarily like classroom or you know academic relay like did you do sports were you part of like other clubs it sounds like you already have like you found you know, a community where you're able to meet people you know outside of this um yeah so i was just curious if you know anything along those lines yeah um that's a good question um where do i start um like i said i'm a people's person and so I've, I've like come to realize recently that that takes time. <laughs> um, yeah. And so during, during middle school and, and high school, I was the coordinator of events. So people mm-hmm. are like, oh, we kind of want to do this. And I was like, all right, start figuring out schedules and like uh, who can pick up who and where can we get dropped off and like which house can we crash? And like I... I tended to somehow end up in that role all the time. Um, 
then, and I find it interesting that you ask about sports because I always felt like I wanted to do a lot of sports, but there's part of the story of why I couldn't was um, my parents didn't prioritize it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. As I think about it through the years, um, I, I've, I've tended to realize that it's normal in American culture that kids do like school and sports or like school and this other thing, which is usually music or martial arts related, like something else. Yeah. Um, but my parents, my parents both grew up in Colombia and in Colombia, the work ethic is very, very sacrificial. I would say, meaning like you have work from, I think offices over there open actually like 8.30, something like that, 8.30 to 5 p.m. But uh, we lived in the capital city, so the commute was crazy. And so like like my bus would pick me up for school at 6.30 so I could be in my school at 7.30 a.m. And then my school was done like around three and I'll be home around 4.30, right? And so, which sort of fit kind of regular working hours for the adults, except like I was home too early. And when I would be home, um, my, our, she wasn't even my nanny, our cleaning lady would be there. And part of her role was to take care of me while my grandma arrived around 5.30. And so that, that's how sort of life would happen in Colombia. When we moved to the States, my parents have this mentality that they, they, their work was from nine to five, but they actually worked much longer than that. And the commute was crazy enough that like, it was also half an hour or an hour to get back home. So they weren't back into my life until like around 6 p.m. So what happened between like me getting out of school and being 6 p.m. was um in elementary school we were fortunate enough that we had some neighbors nearby like we at least we shared the same bus stop so we all had to just get off the bus stop and walk to their place and I would I would hang out with them until my dad could come pick me up and it was the their great grandma that would take care of them and she would just additionally take care of me so there was no way of doing sports when I was in elementary school. Um, when middle school came around, these neighbors, they left, they moved away. And then I had no neighbors nearby in middle school either. And my bus stop was even further. So like I would have to walk. And that was too terrifying for my parents. Maybe Miami was safe, but for my parents, like, no, they had a Colombian mentality and that's just dangerous. You don't do it, period. And so we actually rented a bus service. Uh, And so the bus service came right after school ended and I had to go home and there was no way of doing it otherwise. So again, no sports for me. Then high school happened and I was close enough to high school that I would walk home half an hour. Um, And then like sports was never an option for me. But then somewhere around junior year, my mom was like, hey, is there something like you're walking home or nearby? Is there something that you want to do? I was like, I don't know. And she said, like, swimming. What about 
like you used to like swimming when you were little what about that or running you've gotten into running my oh I don't know no and it was because I had to coordinate coordinate also my transportation and so I didn't do sports until junior and senior year not because I was never interested it was because it was the first time that I was like oh uh my peers have cars (laughs) and I can go with them to practice and they can drop me off back home after practice let's do this and that's that's actually when I started doing sports but other than that I would say uh family family's a big role and it's an important one and um and so in this for example as things that I would do we were fortunate enough that my dad was working through my entire educational career up until COVID. <laughs> uh, he worked with an airlines. And so tickets for me were cheap. And sometimes like it was much cheaper to send me back to Colombia and pay my grandparents some financial help than sending me to summer camp in Miami. Yeah. And so, so I was always close with my family. Like I, I would go back to the grandparents that I was raised with. And then when I met my dad during the summers, I would also like spend another chunk with them and they would travel within Colombia. So I would say like the other thing that would happen was traveling, which is kind of funny because people tend to assume like, oh, that means you're wealthy. And it's like, nah, <laughs> it's just my dad worked with an airline. So we were, we were fortunate to be able to do that. When did you move from Columbia to Miami? I was eight years old. So that was 2001. We moved July of 2001. Okay. How is, how is that? I would imagine you know, mm-hmm. that that's quite a culture shock or yep. you know, at least you know, something different, at least. Yeah, it, it was. There was all sorts of difference. Um, where I'm from in Colombia, uh, the capital is Bogota. And Bogota is in high elevation enough that it's cold all year round. Um, also, because Colombia is so close to the equator, we don't have seasons. So the only seasons that we do have is like, it's raining season, it's not raining. <laughs> um, and then I moved to Miami, the wonderful 98% humid <laughs> with sunshine state all year round and hurricanes. Um, so that, that, that was a weird switch. I did not know how to handle the heat. <laughs> now I'm best friends with the heat and I'm back in the cold, much colder, and I don't know what I'm doing with my life, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> uh, but it was also uh, an interesting cultural shock. I was fortunate that in Colombia, for some reason, my grandparents were wise enough and my mom were wise enough to put me in a bilingual school that would teach me English. But again, besides getting in trouble for talking too much, um, I didn't care for English. So I was always like, that was my lowest grade. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to the States and they, they do the routine thing, I guess, put me in the ESOL class, the English speakers, whatever mm-hmm. class. Um, and I think that's the first time that I experienced structural 
just call it structural or structural discrimination. Uh, my teacher was like I I had I had shown that I could put back into regular classes that I didn't need this ESOL class, but my teacher was like saying like she's too undisciplined and like there's no way that she can succeed in going back into regular English classes and that was third grade and I remember and I remember the teacher and everything and so that was shocking to me I was like but like it's not the first time that I'm telling that I'm being told like that I'm troublesome but I was like okay it's a very vivid memory and it was after I moved up here so to the states so that was just shocking I think the other part that was shocking was um Culture, culture, culture is different. I would, I wouldn't say that I was uh, all of a sudden confronting American culture because I was in Miami. I actually think I am now learning about American culture in this year that I've been living up here in Michigan. There's a lot of things that I did not know. Um, but being in Miami, you encounter a melting pot of cultures, but one of the predominant ones is Cubans, and that. Was, I remember being shocking um, because Colombia, but like people from Bogota are very formal because it's the capital. So in Spanish, they would be very respectful. They would treat you with that formal you, which is usted. Yeah. Um, and they maintain their distance about like how they, they have a dialogue and they're like, please and thank you at the beginning of everything. And they call you by name and, and they, they're not loud. They're not disruptive or anything like that. And then I get to start interacting with people in Miami. And then people are like, instead of being like, hi, please, how are you? How may I please have a glass of water? Which is what I would say if I was thinking in Colombian Spanish, at least from Bogota. And then I, I would interact with a person who was like, hey, serve me water. And I was like, where are your manners? <laughs> um, and so that was that was the part that was culturally shocking for me of like realizing like oh there's these people behave differently and that doesn't mean anything less or worse it's just a different way of interacting period and that that was the shocking part honestly that was a part that was really hard to understand of like why do people behave differently <laughs> so yeah 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 um so when you so you went to FIU which is also in Miami mm -hmm. um so did you stay at home with your parents when you went to college did you move out live on your own live on campus what did you know it sounds like family is very important so I'm just kind of curious what that that looked like yeah um I it's 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 interesting. Um, so to answer your question, I I commuted, uh, like Florida, FIU is a commuting school, like it does have dorms on campus, but everybody kind of goes to class and dips right after, goes back home to like have lunch because mom is cooking lunch or something like that. Uh, my mom was a professional mom, so at home I just had freedom. <laughs> um, what was interesting was my parents are very progressive uh, 
they didn't when it came, when it came to choosing undergrads they didn't really have they didn't set limits to me they didn't say like don't leave the state or go do this career like nothing they were more like cool which which school did you get accepted and what are you interested what do you want to do and and again they're very progressive but i was very cognizant that it would it would require a financial sacrifice from my parents and i sort of just didn't want to put that on them i didn't want I didn't want to end up in debt or them in debt because I was just going to school somewhere else. And so I ended up choosing FIU because of that. And since I was like, well, I'm at FIU, I'm not gonna go live in a dorm. And 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 like I think strategically for parting purposes. <laughs> like FIU was further away from like the party scene or my friends, I would say. And so where I lived was just far more convenient to be there and be like, all right, I'm going to go out to this place that is like right there. <laughs> um, and also my home was closer to the beach. So sorry. But, um, but yeah, um, my, my, it didn't come from a parental enforcement. It kind of came from me very weirdly making an adult choice of not wanting to get my parents or myself in debt. Um, and it was, it was definitely 10 times cheaper um and um uh, i had done so well in high school that at least the first semester my parents had saved up since since we moved to the states my parents saved up with a program that exists in florida and then um i had a, a scholarship and so my first two semesters i didn't pay but failed so many courses that i got kicked off from the scholarship and then at that point, my dad was doing, my parents got divorced. And so my dad was doing well financially enough. Well, he was doing financially well enough that um, he decided to pay that difference after I, I lost the scholarship uh, for, bi for the biology degree. And then when it came to the physics degree, I like sat down and negotiated. My dad's like, can't help you, kiddo. I'm about to have another kid. They're expensive. Sorry. And I'm like, no, that's fine. You're good. You help me out with bio. We're good. No hard feelings. And I sat down with my mom and my mom's like, look, I, I'm actually doing well financially. And so um, I can help you out. And I'm like, great. My thought process is you put the money up front um, because you have the money and I pay you back with my paycheck. And so, um, no, actually, I'll pay you back when I start grad school. That's what I said. And she basically said, like, look, you are putting more into your education. And so uh, this, this loan is between you and me. There is no interest. And you pay me back when you're ready. And it doesn't have to be that. And I was like, whoa, thanks, mom. And so that's kind of the financial burden that I didn't want my parents to carry. Like, if they had the option, great. But I didn't want them to get in debt at all for my education. And, and, and I got to say, that was also kind of the factor of like pushing me into physics of like, okay, well, I, I did the math for what it would take four semesters of physics. Um, and then going to grad school meant that I was going to get paid. And that was a huge motivator. As in contrast or in difference to med school, 
that I would continue to pay out of pocket and then I would get in debt and maybe my career would pay for it. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> mm, yeah, no, this route. <laughs> it's a bit financial more stable. And so, yeah, that's kind of, again, it's interesting because it didn't come from a parental limitation or, or a demand from my parents. I sort of made that choice as an individual of like helping out my family. And, and it meant that like, for example, I, I spent a bit much longer living with my mom. So yeah, I lived with my mom. Nice. So I guess sort of like the, yeah, Amy towards wrapping things up. Um, I guess I'd be curious, so, I feel like senior year, junior year of high school or whatever, like generally there's a lot of stress put on students and be like, you need to determine what the rest of your life looks like, you know, in terms of, are you going to college or are you not? Um, if you do, what are you going into? And then I feel like, you know, as I was once by you and like me as well, it's like, whatever you choose, maybe you change or you go like a different route of, what you originally intended because you're only 17 or 18 when you make these decisions. Yep. <laughs> so I'm curious as to like, knowing what you know now, what do you tell, you know, late high school Cammy of, you know, <laughs> that would help you maybe like guide, you know, the decisions that you make. Yeah. I have no idea, like, what do you go into, but like, I feel like there's a lot of like, you don't know what you don't know at that time, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. That's kind of funny because the thing that I would tell myself is the thing that my dad told, taught me, told me back then too. Um, my dad was like, you sure? He always said that. And I was like, I would get pissed. I would be like, why does this dude not believe in me the way my mommy believes in me? Like I tell my mom, mommy, I'm gonna be a doctor. She's like, go do it. And my dad would be like, you sure? And I'm like, do you not believe that I can do it? Do you not believe that I'm smart? Like, how's going on? And it wasn't until recently that we talked about that. And he was like, I was just applying the scientific method. Like, I was not observing that you were interested so much in it. And I was just trying to like get you to ask yourself. Um, he was like, my intent wasn't to create this whole emotional chaos. It was just like trying to guide you. Um, I think the other part that I would tell myself was like, to not, <laughs> To not, um, I have no idea how to say this in English. Santify, you know, like glorify who oh. my, yeah? Yeah. Um, yeah, to not glorify who my aunt was and that I didn't have to follow her steps to be a good person. Oh, okay. Right, and because I, I just made the choice medicine because my aunt's a good woman, she's smart, she did the things right, done. But that wasn't the only way to do life, by being a good woman. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but, but to be honest, I am kind of glad the way it happened. 
um, if, if, I don't know if you want me to go more into detail, but there was a lot that happened. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So in my, in my curiosity to become a medical student, um, I was like, okay, let, let me volunteer. Let me find things so I can like decide if this is what I really want. Like, that's one of the things that they say, go shadow people. And I'm like, okay, go shadow people. Especially because like there's people that are like, oh, they can't deal with blood, but they want to be doctors. Like, maybe. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I've never been grossed by it. I'm actually like very curious and fascinated by blood. But so I knew that that wasn't a barrier. And in seeking these opportunities, I ended up doing some volunteer work in Guatemala, where <laughs> I said that freaking in Guatemala. <laughs> Um, where where they did this work with a hospital, not not a hospital, like a little clinic in a tiny town. Um, I didn't really understand what everything that they did, but they were they one of the thing that they would advertise. We focus on helping women with their health, and I'm like, I can get behind that. Let's do it. Let's go and see see what it is about. The clinic turned out to be a room that was. Maybe the size of our office. Well, how big is our office? Like, not that big. <laughs> huh? Four feet by ten feet. That's our bigger office. No. no it's yeah, it's probably something. Yeah, maybe six by ten. It's not that big. <laughs> That's how big the women's clinic was in the middle of nowhere, rural Guatemala, and I was like, "Oh shit!" And and. And that was because the bigger building that they had was already a school that was set up for like all the at-risk kids that didn't fit the public system. That was a school that set up to deal, to like educate these kids that got kicked out of the education system. And so it was the school with all the kiddos and then the little clinic. And so, um, so we got him. So we we the goal of our organization was to mediate whatever they needed help with. Um, it wasn't like this colonial perspective of volunteering, of coming in and saying you're doing bad at this, so you need to do this to fix it. It was more like us integrating into the community and asking them like, where do you guys need help? And it, it was it was interesting work because they weren't used to that kind of help they were used to the other help where people come in and tell them what to do and they would do it so it took a while for us for for them to verbalize this is where we need help and the help sounds crazy simple but they just didn't have the time they're like we just got a bunch of book donations we can't organize it in the library can you guys sort it and file them some order can you guys create an organization system for the library? And we're like, okay, cool. Yeah, we can do that. Or they had organizations that wanted their documents translated from Spanish to English. And we're like, yeah, we do that. Two of us, three of us clean, two of the rest of the people can like translate. Or what would happen often because this was a nonprofit school, sometimes the teachers couldn't make it because they had their own family emergencies or their errands. So one of us would step in and like, teach for the day, teach math, teach Spanish, teach, teach whatever we could teach. Obviously, they would try to ask us for teaching English. 
um, we just ended up helping with little things. And I found it interesting. Like I found, I, like I traveled all this way to help with something medical and I ended up in education. And even the clinic for the women was an educational component. And so we're talking about rural Guatemala where there's still some um, patriarchal perspectives about women's sexuality and women's health. And uh, contraception is not something that women had access or were taught about. And they were expected to get pregnant and have and have kids and, and just and only do that. And so what the nurses or the, the health practitioners had to do was like help them figure out a form of contraception that would help them to not have four kids because most of them will come and complain about not having kids. And I just dove into this cultural perspective that I had never thought about. Like, for example, one of the tactics was that the, the the small space that the clinic had, it had the bed, it had a waiting area, then it had the private clinic room. So within our room, there was a room, <laughs> which was even tinier, and that was the bed and all the like medical supplies. So that was pretty crowded. And so the, what the nurses would do um, was, for example, a woman would come in, but they would come in with their mother-in-law. And it was because their mother-in-law was monitoring that they weren't taking any contraception. And so a tactic that a nurse would use would be like, oh, I'm sorry, it's too crowded. Can you just please wait outside? And then they would help like um, through some form of contraception. So if it was a shot or if it was a pill or something, and that's, that's how they had to do it. And I was like completely mesmerized by this. Like it seemed like a time capsule, right? Like this, this woman, this woman have the rights do as they wish as I do in the States, but culturally it hasn't caught up. And it's all about education that contraception is not a bad thing, that like rearing kids for so long constantly is actually detrimental to a woman body, to the body of the woman, like all these stuff that needed to happen. And then with the kids, like I started to begin, like I, I always I always visioned that my medical career would end up with some global impact, that I would end up in like Doctors Without Borders and traveling, God knows where, like having some sort of impact. And I started to think maybe medicine is not the only way to have some impact. Maybe there's, maybe education is another way to have an impact. And so that, that thought just kind of stayed in my mind. Um, and then that summer, something also very interesting happened was um, I had I had time, so I was able to visit my aunt and my uncle out in Germany. And my uncle is a mathematician. And well, I knew my uncle, like I met my uncle, and I knew my uncle as like this family dude, right? Like I know how much he loves eating. Um, he learned how to dance bachata because he's German. And so he learned how to dance this thing and he learned Spanish and uh, he loves a bunch of all these Colombian food. And when he comes over to Colombia, he's always ordering for like three and a half size of him so he can eat all the things from Colombia. Like I just knew him as a person and I knew that his job was a professor 
and then for the first time like that hit me I'm like oh like my uncle has this whole personality and this whole life right that he's he's not just a math professor that goes in and lectures something boring and everybody falls asleep and nobody gives the crap about what he's doing he's He's a dynamic human. He plays tennis. He loves spending time with his kids. Uh, he learned to do bachata, like to dance bachata. And he does all these other stuff that is like being a father. And so it was the first time that I thought of my professors as being humans. <laughs> other, other than being just like this power figure thing. And then, and then I get into Jeff's class where that kind of structure doesn't exist. Like Jeff never positioned himself of, please refer to me as Dr. Podvin or like Professor Podvin. Like he didn't really care about that. And Daryl was also like, because it was a, such a social and interactive class, like there was a point where I'm like, hey Jeff, come help me out. <laughs> and like, don't give me that crap about intellectual, like please answer me this question. And so I like, broke away from that barrier of like putting professors in a pedestal and just thinking of them as humans. And that's, that's when it made me realize that there's, that I could, I could triangulate a lot of things that I like. Like I always loved learning. Like that was for sure. If I wasn't learning in school because, and I always, and I always ended up in participating in, I always ended up in programs that were more academically rigorous than whatever the level in Miami was. So I was part of, um, back then it was called an international program for my middle school. And then in high school, I was part of the international baccalaureate. And so I was always, like school was a huge load, but I did well. <laughs> um, and, so, and so then this this idea of like, learning which I've always loved and humans and interacting and talking and just like that opportunity with Jeff and Daryl and the idea that you can make that into research and that like I didn't know that I had always loved physics that physics was the thing that I loved I just didn't know it was called physics that's sort of what like came together and I would say from the fall of 2014 to the spring of 2016 for me that allowed me to think like, yeah, the career path change was simple and obvious. And for the first time, the advice that my dad had given me made sense. Like, are you sure? <laughs> um, like when I chose like, yeah, I'm going to do physics. To me, it was clear as day. Like I had, I had a plan. I knew what I needed to do research-wise and courses-wise, and I knew how to explain it to my dad, and I knew that, like, even his opinion wasn't going to matter to me anymore. I was just like, I know where I'm going, and I, I need to do this. I want to do this. Not I need to. I never needed to. I wanted. I wanted to do it. And so I found, I found that interesting that in my pursuit for a medical degree of whether I want it or not, education seemed to me, seemed more of an avenue of impact than medicine. Yeah. So what do you say the where's like the the current goals of 
of CAMI? Is it to continue going into education and then you would be an educator post grad school? Is that the current plan in this iteration? <laughs> or something else? Yeah. On my good days, yeah. It, it depends on the day. Um, I think where I'm trying to get comfortable with right now, it's like, I don't know. Maybe with with the aspect that, like I've I've said, like I I enjoy challenges, but um, it would be nice to have a break from challenges all the time. Fair, <laughs> and fair. I'm trying to figure out if this is something that I really need in my life, or if it was just something that because of the way that life happened to me, I was just put in that situation and I just like, that is my norm and that, 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 that I'm okay in that or if I want something different. And so right now I would tell you like, hell yeah, I'm gonna continue in education and I'm gonna keep like pushing the boundaries of like what it is to have an inclusive classroom, making sure that women and people of color have access to it without a doubt from any little action that I do in the classroom to anywhere where I could have some power, whether it's at the faculty level or a citizen level, um, or even by, by creating this type of communities, right? I've, I've generally found that having people that I can go back and talk to, like, I'm experiencing this. Have you experienced something like this? Like I have a group of Latin women who are pursuing science careers in male dominant fields or even women of color. And I go back, I'm like, oh, dude, like I'm going through this, you know? Um, but I also have like women in physics and a few women, few Latinas that I'm like, you know, this crap happened. And then it just makes me think about this. And so I think that is a way of creating change. And so that's, that's what makes me want to stay in academia. What makes me run away from academia is like, what if I just get a dog from nine to five and don't care about it? But I don't see myself as that human either. <laughs> about not caring, you know, the injustices in the world. I don't know. So it's 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 definitely interesting to not know what's going to happen. And, and, I, at first, I used to say it's gonna be five years. Now I'm looking at you, maybe like six years. <laughs> um, but I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm comfortable with actually not knowing what the next step is. It's it doesn't scare me. I think it would have scared me in high school. Right now, I'm like, eh, I'll just do the like. What I found is if I do the things that I like, I end up in a place that I like. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened with the trip to Guatemala. That's what happened with like pursuing a biology degree. Like I was, I had the things that I wanted that I thought that I liked and I was pursuing them. And then I'm like, oh, I found this new thing. Just kidding. And I feel comfortable making those switches. So stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll find out in part two. <laughs> part two in 10 years. Yeah. All right. Well, I, don't know. I felt like this was a good conversation. I, yeah. I enjoyed learning everything that you had to say. Anything else you would like to, to say beforehand or you feel good? Yeah, there's actually something that I appreciate your question. 
I just think this one is really interesting and weird, weird to hit, but doing, doing research on gender studies now within physics, I, I've actually been mesmerized at my path um, that my entire, yeah, since middle school to I graduated high school, All my teachers for math and science were women. Mm. For my ninth grade math teacher, geometry by Mr. Finn. Mm -hmm. um, but the rest were women. And so I found that that is a rarity <laughs> with the research that I do, that that is actually not, pre not common at all. And it wouldn't have been true if I had taken uh, physics in high school, right? And and so I didn't I didn't grow up without that representation of women in science, and including women of color. Um, and and before I knew that creating community was a thing that helped me succeed. I didn't realize how much of STEM Transformation Institute became another community that helped me progress. So for example, um, between the, like the first semester that I took physics, I still didn't, I hadn't created that community yet. So I was struggling a lot. And the, but at the community that I did belong to was the research community. So like Jeff and Zara were someone that I had worked with. And then there was, um, Ida Rodriguez from Florida International University. She she was what she was what STEM Transformation Institute called like their golden child. Um, they switched her from engineering into physics. She did her physics undergrad there. She did her physics doctorate there, and she has she now works there as an instructor, as a professor. Sorry, at STEM Transformation Institute. So it's like, you know. <laughs> because of STEM Transformation Institute, she was able and she was like guided and created that space for her to exist. But without her having been there and being able to talk to her about what it is to do physics, I don't, I don't know where I would be. I don't know if I would be just as enthusiastic. And even for example, Zara talking to her was also helpful. But the huge difference like that I've always struggled with is um, because I was always talking, I would always get in trouble. And part of it was true. Like I would get not perfect grades. And so I, I have this story in my head of like people always saying, you're just not good enough. <laughs> like you're good, but not good enough. And so talking with Zara didn't help because Zara always got like A plus and she did a minor in chemis in chemistry, in mathematics and physics. So I was like, I like that's not what I'm doing. Like I went, I did a bio degree and then I'm doing physics for because I want to. But Ida was more willing to talk about and maybe she had it more fresh in her mind too, of like what it is to sit down and with a physics problem and like try to push through it. And so having having those and, and Daryl too, like I don't know how many times we call Daryl, like, what am I doing? Um, 
having those women actually was helpful in persisting. And if it wasn't, if it wasn't for them, I generally do not know if I would see myself as a believer. So yeah. Yeah. Another layer there. Yeah. That's really, really powerful and, and interesting. Yeah. Thank thank you for, for sharing everything. <laughs> That was our conversation with Cammie. We hope you enjoyed it. Next week, we'll talk to fourth-year physics graduate student Laura Wood. If you have any feedback or you'd like to keep up to date on WAMPS events, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook, where we are at MSU WAMPS. Thank you for listening.